uh, pastor a church in the U.S., originally from Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, anybody here been to Scotland? Yeah, you've been to Scotland, yeah? Um, you've been, so I know Gabe in the back there has been to Scotland. When you think of Scotland, what do you think of? Whiskey? Yeah? <laughs> you tell their axe when I goes. <laughs> uh, what else? You think of Scotland? Very cold. Yeah. Braveheart. Everybody says Braveheart. Men in kilts. Yeah. Um, bagpipes. Think of it. I mean, haggers. Yep. So it's John Knox. Yeah, got a theologian in the house. Yeah, I like it. So we, um, when you think of Scotland, you do think of a beautiful country. You think of a country rich in heritage and culture. You think of a, a country that is uh, just got some stunning sights, great history. Um, and that is the reality of Scotland. It is beautiful with wonderful heritage and uh, great natural scenery. But we also think of Scotland. We think of uh, the, the theological heritage of Scotland, men like John Knox. Um, in the, uh, particularly in a couple hundred years ago, much of the modern missions movement came out of Scotland. Uh, it was a sending nation, sending people around the world. And so it's easy, perhaps, to think of Scotland as a reached people, as a Christian country. But the reality is today, Scotland is about 3% evangelical Christian. Most of Scotland uh, would be completely unreached or unengaged with any gospel witness. But the place in Scotland that you are least likely to find a Christian are the poorest places, the places of poverty. In Scotland, we have a word for that. It's called the schemes of Scotland. Uh, it's the equivalent of slums, projects in the U.S., social housing, areas of concentrated poverty. So about seven years ago, myself, a friend of mine, Mess McConnell, who's a pastor in Edinburgh, we started a church planting ministry to the poorest communities of Scotland. And that ministry is called 20 Schemes. Because we recognize that, that there are men and women, there are boys and girls being born in Scotland today who will live their entire life having never met a Christian. Most of those people live in the areas of poverty, the very people who are least likely to leave those communities and to find, uh, to, to, to find jobs or, or uh, houses elsewhere. And so if they're going to be reached, it's going to require us to go, to live there amongst them, to plant healthy churches there. And so that's been the, the ministry that we've been a part of for the last seven years. And then globally, um, with Acts 29, launched a ministry called Church in Hard Places. And we'll share a little bit more about that this afternoon. I appreciate that. There's one thing standing between you and lunch, and that's me. And so I'm going to <laughs> jump right into this. Um, and so, so the reason why I'm going to talk today, this talk, about uh, what is a missional church. I am flipped it. And so this afternoon I'm going to talk about developing leaders. Because the text I'm going to is Luke chapter 9, verse 1 to verse 6. And it's the next verse from where One left off. And so um, in the parallel gospel. And so it's appropriate. I thought I'd just switch it and go straight to that right now. And so Luke chapter 9, verse 1. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. We just heard him in Matthew chapter 9, praying for the lost, speaking of the harvest being plentiful. He's called on the disciples to pray. And then verse 1 of chapter 9 of Luke's gospel says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. 
and He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no stuff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. We pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know this is your word. We pray, Father, that you uh, just speak to us now through this, your word. We seek to come under the authority that is the Holy Scripture, uh, that we'd be obedient to it. And so, Father, send us as, uh, Father, you call us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I left off, speaking of the harvest being plentiful, Jesus, his compassion for the poor, for the, for the lost, and then he had called on his disciples to pray. What are they praying for? To send out workers to the harvest. And here we have the answer to their prayer, that they themselves are the ones who are to go. They're the ones who are to go. You see, our God is a sending God. He is the God who sends. We are a people who have been called out of darkness into light, called to God. But then as He calls us to Himself, He sends us. He calls us with the intent of sending us out. He hasn't simply saved us so that we would sit on the sidelines waiting for heaven. Rather, He has called us to do something. He has called us to be His witnesses. All too often, our churches can become simply enclaves of the redeemed, sanctified ghettos of Christians, simply squatting together, waiting on God. But the Bible presents a bolder vision for us, one that sees us on the move, that sees us as a sent out people. We're not merely a gathered people. We're people that are gathered in order to be sent, to be trained, to be sent, that we might see God to be declared His kingdom advanced. You see, we see the kingdom advanced as God sends His messengers. And so, we see here in this text that we come, we're sent out by a sending God, Matthew 9, verse 36, as Oni preached, saw that Jesus moved by compassion. People of Israel who are sheep without shepherd, he calls on the disciples to pray. And now they're praying for God to send out workers to go to the harvest because the workers are few. Harvest is plentiful. And then the answer to their prayer is themselves. That they are the ones in the very next verse who are being sent out to go and be his witnesses. We are sent by God. You understand that prayer is God's intended means to establish God's intended end. Prayer is God's it's his intended means to bring about, to establish His intended ends. Now our prayer doesn't change God's plan. Our prayer doesn't change God's mind. Rather, our prayer brings into effect God's intended results. Same way in evangelism. Evangelism, our words 
don't in themselves have power, so why evangelize if God is already going to save his elect? We evangelize because evangelism is God's intended means by which he accomplishes his intended end. And so here the disciples are praying, and God uses their prayers to bring about his predetermined answers to that prayer, which is that he will send out his workers to the mission field. And so Jesus provides the answer to their prayer, that they go themselves. When you pray for something, are you willing to be the answer to your own prayer? When you pray for messengers, are you willing to be that messenger? When you pray for churches to be planted, are you willing to be that church that plants that, that, plants that church? Are you willing to be the answer to your own prayers? Often it's on our knees when we are praying and pleading for a holy God that He changes our hearts, opens our eyes, that we might see that we are the ones that He are equipping, that He is equipping to go. This is then, then the reality of your own life, that God has changed you as you have prayed. You see, this is the very purpose of discipleship. Jesus has been with these men up to this point. This is the first moment that He sends them. So the first act of Jesus sending his disciples. He'd been with them up until this point, training them and equipping them and teaching them and revealing to them who he is and what he has come to do. We saw that Jesus had been doing what? Early on in Matthew chapter 9, he had been casting out demons. He's been healing the sick. He's been what? Proclaiming the gospel. The disciples have been watching him do all this. They've been learning from him, seeing him, observing what he does. He's been teaching them. He's been training them. But it's not just so they become filled with knowledge. He's not teaching and training them just so that they can have a better understanding of who Jesus is. He's teaching them and training them because he intends to send them. He intends to use them. This is the entire point of discipleship. It's what it means to be a disciple. It's not just to grow in knowledge. It's to is to be sent out. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That we be motivated not simply to learn more, but to go and tell others about who Jesus is. So are you seeking to be sent out? Is that, is that your vision as a church when you're training and discipling one another? Who amongst us will go? How are we equipping our members to be disciples? Disciples meaning messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the harvest is plentiful. Again, the issue in our cities is not a lack of a harvest. The, the harvest is secure. It's guaranteed. God knows his sheep. And his sheep will come to him when he calls them. When they hear him calling. And how will they hear him? How will they know him if we do not go and speak? How will the call ever come if we do not preach the gospel? You see, the harvest is never in doubt. What's in doubt is your obedience. What is in doubt is your faithfulness to Him. That's what's in doubt. That's what's at play. And that's why He calls you to get on your knees and pray. Because you need to change your heart. You need a different vision. You need to be the one emboldened by Christ to go and to be His messengers. We are sent by God. The second we see in this section that we are sent to a people. Luke he records to us that he has summons his disciples to himself. And now he's giving orders to his men. He has then authority over them. He's sending them, but he's given them orders. And he's telling them, go. 
verse 9, and he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over demons, cure diseases, and he sent them out. Right? So he's calling them to himself, and then he's sending them out. It's almost like a, a military general calling his men, giving them his orders, and saying, now go and do as I've instructed you to do. He's not, he's not waiting for volunteers to show up. Right? He's not just sitting there saying, look, I've got a great opportunity for you. That's going to be a mission trip next week. Uh, we're going to go to a few villages, and I really need some, 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 some willing volunteers who maybe got a spare week, um, some, some freedom, who have a desire. If you really want to, sign up for this information meeting next week, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, and then you can go. No, 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 no. Jesus drafts his people. Yeah. Jesus drafts his messengers. He calls them to himself, and then he summons them to a king. And they sit before him on their knees praying to their master. And then as they pray, he sends them on their mission. When I was 18, I was in the British Coast Guard. I served for two years in, in the Coast Guard um, doing cliff search and rescue. And so we would literally would be, uh, uh, we, I lived in a fishing village on the co northeast coast of Scotland. It's a rough, rough coast, very dangerous coast in many ways. And there's all these sharp cliffs with sheer drops going down into the sea. And most of what we would do as the Coast Guard is we'd rescue either fishermen who had fallen off uh, their fishing vessels, or we'd rescue uh, sometimes suicide uh, people who jumped off. Um, or we'd rescue dumb tourists who were taking photographs and just, you know, kind of tripped over into the sea beneath them. But if I'm, if I'm uh, going about my business and my, the alarm went off, that was a summons. You know, if that alarm went off, it means someone is perishing in need of rescue. In that moment when the alarm siren sounds, I didn't have a choice to decide, is it convenient or am I ready? When the alarm sounded, I responded because I was being summoned to go. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. He has compassion for the poor. He says there are people dying on our doorsteps. In earshot of my voice right now, people are dying and going to an eternal hell. And he's summonsing his church. Go! Be my messengers. To who? Who does he send them to? Well, here, specifically, he's sending them to the people of Israel, to their own city. He's sending them to the people of their own, uh, send them to the, the villages of Israel, because we tell he's talking about sheep, about shepherd. He's specifically speaking there about Israel in that point. So he sends them to other Jews in that city because the Great Commission hasn't come yet. At this point, it's still about him as the Messiah of the Jews after the cross and the resurrection. Then he sends them to the nations. But in this moment, he's given them particular people to whom they are to be his witnesses to. And it's their city. It's their people. He says, primarily, that's who you're to go to. That they're to go to their people. You know, as a church, sometimes we can be so overwhelmed by the vastness of the mission. You know, there are millions, billions of people walking on this planet right now who have never heard the name of Jesus. We can be so overwhelmed by the task, even in this own city. You live in, in such a, a massive city, you can be so overwhelmed by the task that it can lead you to feel 
somehow incompetent, unable, impotent to respond. And so over, being overwhelmed leads to inactivity. Often we're so overwhelmed by something, we don't want to do it. You know, I remember my, my girls, I've got two young daughters, and they asked me to, uh, for Christmas, they wanted a trampoline. You know, a trampoline, um, you bounce up and down on a trampoline. Yep, so they wanted a trampoline. So uh, we bought them a trampoline to put up in our back garden. And it came in this box about the size of this. And I uh, looked at this box and we gave it to the girls at Christmas. They had a photograph on the, on the front of the box of girls jumping on a trampoline. So it looked like a trampoline. And then I, I opened the box and I pulled out a thousand pieces of springs and bolts and poles and fabric. And, and I looked at that and I said, I don't know how that's going to become a trampoline. <laughs> and so what did I do? Just put it back in the box. Because I'm so overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the, by the task, I did nothing until I called a church member who put it together for me. <laughs> and so often we can do that. We can look at the vastness of the need in our own city that we lose focus. We want to do nothing. But Jesus sends them to a particular people. Yeah. I think that's true for our churches too. That often we have a particular opportunity that God has opened for us. A particular people, a particular city, a particular place yeah. that God has placed in front of you yeah. that He has sent you to yeah. as His witnesses. Yes. Certainly, if you're in Lagos, it's Lagos. Yeah. But maybe it's beyond here as well. Maybe God is opening opportunities and doors for you to go elsewhere. So there's an opportunity for churches in Lagos to impact the entire region of West Africa. But there is an opportunity here that God has given you as a people, as churches to respond to his summons. He wants you to go, not just to be his messengers, but he's sending you to particular people. If you live in a neighborhood, be messengers to that neighborhood. If you live, if you work in an office, be messengers to that office. If you work, if you send your kids to a school, be messengers to that school. He sends you to a particular people. He gave his disciples a very specific task. What has God equipped you to do as a church? Who is God sending you to? I want you to notice something else as well. He sends them out together, two by two. He sends them out in pairs to go out. And I think it's something instructive. He doesn't look to his disciples and he say, all right, guys, uh, uh, tell me where you want to go. And you try to go there and then come back and give us a testimony. No, no, he sends them out together. I think it's important that we, we come as a church and we go where we are being sent as a church. That God hasn't given us all individual mandates. He's given us as church to be able to send out together. And so respond to what opportunities the church has. And the church is sending you to. What opportunities is he presenting to your church? How are you equipping your, me your members to respond to that call? We must have this kind of focus. God is a sending God. He's sending us to a people. But he also sends us out with an identity. Look, again, first 1, chapter 9. And he called the 12 together and he did what? He gave them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases. Now, flip back to Matthew. What have we just heard? What has Jesus been doing? Jesus has been casting out demons, healing the sick, and proclaiming the gospel. In other words, the very work that Jesus has been doing, the very work that has been making Jesus famous in the city and the villages to which they go, they are now given power to do. 
So they're being sent out with an identity. The work they do, healing the sick, casting out demons, identifies them with Jesus. They bear the mark of the one who has sent them. The work they do identifies them with Jesus. So that when they go, it's clear, man, they, they are doing the things that Jesus does. That they're, that they're, they're moving in the same power that Jesus moves. How is this possible? How, you know, we heard of this man, Jesus, but, but these men are coming into our villages and they're acting like Jesus amongst us. When you bear the marks of the messenger, it proves the legitimacy of your message. I'm an identical twin. My brother looks just like me. I'm the better looking one, though. Um, you know, and whenever we go someplace, uh, if I go to a place where he's more familiar, um, then I walk into a place and people come up to me and they start, they think I'm Daniel, it's my brother's name. And so they start having a conversation with me and I don't have a clue who this person is, but they think they know me, right? They think they know who I am. And so they talk to me and, and it, it takes me a while. I'm trying to figure out, have I just forgotten who this person is? Or, or who do they really know? And then it clicks. Oh, they think I'm Daniel. Now, now I'm committed to this conversation. I'm 10 minutes into this conversation now. Now I've got a decision. Do I just keep pretending to be Daniel? Not to, to avoid embarrassment? Or do I just kind of like stop and say, oh, hold on a moment. I'm, I'm actually not who you think I am. You know, so wherever I go, I, I, I bear the marks of my brother. Wherever we go, we are to bear the marks of our Savior. That we are to put on the character of Christ as we seek to put Christ on display. We're being sent by God, sent to a people, but we're being sent with an identity. The gospel has transformed you. The gospel has made you into a new image, a new creation. True disciples, we have a heart of compassion, the very heart of compassion that Jesus has for the lost and the poor and the marginalized and the overlooked. We need to bear the marks of our, the one who sends us, our Savior. That our changed lives, the way we speak. That's why if you speak the gospel, but you do not live in such a way that marks, that marks the message of Jesus and the character of Christ, then you tell a lie about Jesus. You're going as his ambassadors. It's not just the words you say, but it's who you are. He sends them out to bear his identity. And we are to go with his power and with his authority. You see, the ministry of evangelism is a ministry of great power. We can often feel weak as evangelists, can't we? We can feel that I'm sharing the gospel with somebody and it's still like it's, nothing's happening. You know, I'm, I just feel weak. I feel like a failure. I feel, I feel somehow of, I just don't have it. I don't have the gift. And we can struggle. I don't see mass conversions. Nobody's getting saved. Evangelism is never done without power. That evangelism is always a ministry of power. Don't doubt that. Don't doubt that. Evangelism is always a ministry of great power. You see, there is no such thing as a weak church or weak Christian. Now, you can be a disobedient Christian. You can be a faithless church, but you cannot be a weak church because there's power in the church and it comes from the Holy Spirit. We always go from a position of strength. 
Every time you share the gospel with somebody, you are starting from a position of strength and power. And the Holy Spirit can use what you are doing if the Holy Spirit chooses to do an extraordinary work in that person's life. We always start from a position of strength. The very ministry of the kingdom causes demons to rage and to flee and to Satan, Satan to flee from us. This is a ministry of power where even the demons run. But we're sent to proclaim. We're sent to proclaim. What tools were these messengers given when they're given on this mission to go and rescue the lost sheep? What is their weapon in this war as he sends them out two by two into the villages? Verse 2 clears this, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's their weapon. That's the tool with which they're, they're given to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. They're given a message to proclaim. They are messengers. They're not, not first and foremost healers. They are first and foremost messengers. They are sent with a message by a king. They're sent to speak on his behalf and to call on people to enter in to his kingdom. We declare that the king has come. We declare that people have rebelled against our king. We declare that you are in grave danger of coming under the judgment of our king. That he has come in order to rescue you. That he is the son of God who died in our place to conquer the grave, who rose from death in order to defeat the kingdom of darkness so that all whoever believes in him and turns from their sin will live forever. That's what our ministry is. That's the message we're given to proclaim. You see, you cannot do evangelism without opening your mouth. We're first and foremost sent to proclaim a message. But that message is a, a ministry of, uh, it's a message of power. Look, people are not going to be saved by how great your building is or how incredible your music team are. People aren't going to be saved by how eloquent your speaking, your speakers are. They're not going to be saved by your, your events or your uh, great evangelistic crusades. They're not going to be wowed by that. What's going to save people is the very message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether there's one of you or a hundred of you, it's that message that brings the power. It's the message of Jesus Christ that saves. We are called to proclaim 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, according to the Bible, Christians are called to plead, even to persuade unbelievers. We're to set forth the truth plainly. Evangelism, in other words, is, is seeking to do everything, to say everything in order to persuade people that Jesus Christ is King. We're attempting to, we're not attempting to, to force a spiritual rebirth. We don't, we don't convert people in that way. We're not there to, to, to bring about conversion like we have the power to do that. We're there to bring about, to proclaim a message which has the power to do that. Has the power to transform and to save. Evangelism is presenting the good news freely and trusting that God can convert people. We freely present His good news, but we trust Him that He can convert. Which means as evangelists then, We'd have a sense of urgency, a sense of joy, but a sense of confidence in our work. We're not simply sent to feed the hungry or to clothe the naked. We're sent to rescue the dying by proclaiming the truth of the gospel. 
when I look at areas of deep poverty around the world, and I've been to some incredibly poor places, and I know there are in this city, people whose lives are devastated by drug addiction, devastated by alcoholism, lives devastated by, by, uh, by, by a hypersexuality, devastated by violence and crime and criminality and poverty and sickness and disease. And we go into communities and often we can feel that we have nothing to offer. There's no way. There's no way I can solve this person's problems. They're living in such extreme poverty. And yet we're called to proclaim the gospel to the dying. We're called to rescue people. Rescue people, not from, from the, the, the pity of their life, but rescue people from the ultimate judgment of their death. That's our primary mission. That's our primary work. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with Him, then we appeal to you. We appeal to you. Not to receive not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a vapor time I listen to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Wherever we go, it may look like there's so much darkness and death and disease and heartache and pain and misery all around us, but we go declaring one who brings life, who brings hope, who brings joy and who brings freedom from whatever chains are enslaving us. That's where our confidence is in. That's what we place our confidence in. A ministry of proclamation. A ministry of the word. Speaking a message. It's not an empty message. The message that brings life. It's a message that brings restoration. It's a re message that transforms and rescues. It's the very message that rescued you. It's the very message that has transformed your life. You know who you once were before you came to Christ. But I wonder if, if we had a glimpse of what we might have become had we not found Jesus. We, do not, we, we cannot fathom what God in His grace and mercy has stopped the hurtling, the full judgment of God hurtling towards us. And Jesus goes on the cross and He says, Stop! No more. And He becomes our shelter, our refuge, our, our resting place that we might hide behind Christ. But we cannot see what, what, what we're hiding from. Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it. He sees the full wrath of God that was intended for you. We look at our life and we see, oh, if only I had more of this, if only I had more money, if only I had a better house, if only I had a better job, if only my life was a little bit easier. You have no idea what your life may have been were it not for the grace of God coming to you. This is an urgent message, an urgent message that we must proclaim. For today is the day of salvation and the harvest is plentiful. Do you have that sense of urgency? I fear many of our churches have lost that sense of urgency. We've lost both the compassion and the urgency. Oh, that we would reclaim it. Then he sends with us with provision. 
He tells them, don't take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Do not have two tunics. He sends them with provision. He says, take nothing for the road. This is what he's telling them. It's really important. Do not go in order to make money, but do not wait to go until you have the money. He says, do not go in order to make money, but do not wait to go until you have the money. These men could have made a killing for themselves. They're given power to cast out demons, heal the sick. They could have put on a show, put on a performance, put on a great crusade, made a name for themselves, started a website, started a YouTube channel and become famous, wrote books, started conferences, maybe even write a song. They could have made a killing. Next thing you know, they've got a private jet. They've got a, they've got a big mansion. But Jesus says, no. Do not go to make money. I'll provide you what you need. I'll provide you what you need. How will he provide? Through his people. I'll prepare a place for you where you can sleep. I'll prepare a place for you where you can eat. In every place you go, I'll take care of what you need. I'll never give you more, but I'll take care of what you need. So trust me. Trust me. I know that, that many of us in this room, we say, if, you know, if we just had what that church has, if we just had a little bit more, maybe more books, more money, a different building, if we just had a little bit more, then maybe we could plant a church, or maybe we could uh, really minister to this community, reach this neighborhood. And so we just wait. We just wait, have a little bit of a pity party, and say, oh God, if, if you could you know, send, some, send a donor, send a church you know, overseas that will start paying us so we can go, send somebody to help us do this work. Jesus, do not wait until you have the money to obey him. Obey him. Trust him. He will provide. He will provide you exactly what you need. So rely on him. Nobody else. No rich benefactor. No, no, no website. No book deal. Don't rely on anything else. Just trust him. And he'll make, he'll make sure that you go to bed to sleep on at night. And a meal on the table the next day. And he'll provide for you. Often it's through his people. Often it's through his people. He says, go to a village where somebody opens their door for you. Then you stay there and you eat and you sleep. He'll prepare a place for you. He doesn't just mysteriously deposit money into our bank accounts. Rather, he providentially and wonderfully moves in our lives to steer the resources of his kingdom in order to keep us in his work. The fact that you're here this afternoon is a miracle of God. He's provided just what you need to be here, just what you need to hear this. Look, he doesn't give you a job. He doesn't give you an income or resources simply so you can build up wealth for yourself. He gives you job, incomes, and resources so that you can do his work and so that you can fund his work and be a part of it. We are so often so short-sighted, so generously, for the harvest is plentiful. He sends us with provision. He cares for his workers. But also he sends us with a plan. He gives us a plan. Again, first four. Whatever house you enter, stay there. Stay there. He sends us with a plan. He gives us instruction. If you receive a hearing, if you go to a door, you knock on it, somebody responds and they give you a hearing, they're receptive to the message, then stay. Stay. 
Stay at the home of the one who receives you. Plant yourself there. They were given a plan. Go into a town, find a family that welcomes you, a place of peace, move in there, stay for a while, develop a relationship, build a friendship, be my messengers, make disciples. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like church planting. It sounds exactly like church planting. Go to a place and stay. Stay for a while. Make friends. Get to know the people. Now, this isn't some kind of drive-by evangelistic crusade that he's called them to. He's not calling them to, to go in, set up a big stage, have a great band, have loud music, have thousands of people, have a, a great message, and then pack up, get on the bus, and go to the next place. No, he says, you know what? Develop friendships. Get to know people. Sit at the dinner table with people. Hear their story. Plant yourself there. Make disciples. Stay a while. Stay a while. Ministry happens when community is established. Friendships, relationships, when we become part of people's lives, when we get alongside people, when we walk with them. That's when ministry happens. That's, what, that's when our strongest evangelistic opportunities comes. So I still the question when you look at your own church outreach ministries. How does this ministry help me develop a friendship? How does this evangelistic ministry help me establish a relationship? I think many of our ministries that we do, particularly outreaches to poor communities, they're transactional. We're going to go and give handouts to the poor. We're going to go and you know, clean up the street, start up a school, a tutoring ministry, start a, a homeless shelter, a food pantry. And we're going to go and, and give give stuff to them. We're going to be transactional. We're going to fit it into a two-hour slot on a Wednesday afternoon. We're going to drive in, give something out, give them their meal, and then go back to a nice little comfortable homes. Jesus tells us, no, no, no. Go. Stay there. Eat with them. Get to know them. Plant a church. Make disciples. That's always been the plan. That's always been the plan. Ministry happens when community is established, when friendships and relationships are established. So assess your own church's ministries and ask yourself the question, is this transactional or is this relational? Is this ministry a transaction, a handout? I'm just going to give you something, but I don't really want to know you very well. Or is this about a relationship? I want to hear your story. I want to know your name. I want to tell you my story. I want to introduce you to my friend. His name's Jesus. Let me tell you about him. Ministry is always relational. The first five says, If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake up the dust from your feet. It's a testimony against them. He's really saying, If the one who you share the message with rejects it, then treat them as a stranger. Dust off your feet. This doesn't mean you're giving up on them. It doesn't mean you're giving up on them. In fact, you're doing the very opposite. You're giving them, you're giving them a taste of hell which is separation from God and His people. And so we're, we're sharing the gospel. We hope to develop friendships and relationships. We hope to get a receptive audience. Where there isn't, we, we just go on. But we're not defeated. We're not defeated. We just go on. They've heard of Christ. They've seen the evidence. They've received an invitation to come into the kingdom. Yet if they reject the message, then we must not act as beggars as if we're impotent without power. For our king is not a beggar. 
Our king is not a beggar standing at a door pleading. He is a king extending an invitation to come and eat with him. We cannot change hearts. We're the messengers. We simply call to go and proclaim, to make much of Christ, to go and share. So go with the confidence that the kingdom will be built. That there is no force on earth that can stop Christ from establishing his church. We sow, he reaps. So let us learn from this strategy. There are unreached people in our own city. We must go. We must go where they are, speak and proclaim the message of the gospel, plant ourselves there, minister, establish community, raise up disciples, build a church. It's always been the plan. It's always been the strategy. So will you go? We worship ascending God. We are a sent out people. Let us find that same passion. Let us find that same sense of urgency. Let us have compassion for the lost on our own doorstep. Let us not waste our lives hoping for something more. But live our lives content with all that Christ has given us. You know, we're not to serve Christ out of a sense of guilt. Not to serve Him out of a sense of of guilt, oh, I just need to do more for Jesus. I need to somehow earn a little bit of love from Jesus. No, we're to, we're to serve Him out of worship. We're to serve Him out of adoration. We're to serve Him out of love. He is our King. Oh, that we would love to make our King known where He is not known. He deserves to be worshipped where He is not being worshipped. That's what we're called to do. To the poor places and the hard places. To the rich places. To the suburbs. We're called to make Christ known. Charles Spurgeon said this. I'll close with this. The Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance, to advance onward until its boundaries become commensurate with those of the world. It was to spread from Jerusalem to Judea and from Judea to Samaria and from Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Listen to this. It was not intended to radiate from one central point, but to form numerous centers from which which its influence might spread to the surrounding parts. The gospel is not simply something we're given and then told to do something with. It is a voracious fire lit in our hearts that is insatiable in its appetite for the lost. It is never satisfied with land taken. It is always pressing ever outward until the whole world is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Let's pray.